Welcome to The Policy Shop, weekly conversations with public policy experts where we'll dive into the most important issues affecting all of us here in Illinois. I'm Hillary Gowans. Let's get started. Pandemic school closures put a spotlight on education as parents struggled to make e-learning work or looked for alternatives to public school. That scramble introduced many people to the concept of school choice for the very first time. One of the biggest voices in the pro-school choice movement here in Illinois is Nathan Hoffman, Director of State Policy and Legislative Strategy at the American Federation for Children. Nathan, welcome. Thanks. All right. So just to introduce you and this concept of school choice more broadly, talk about why you got into this in the first place and what school choice means to you. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in Chicago. I grew up uh, 200 miles south in our state capital, Springfield, Illinois, um, where it's, you know, big Catholic town. Um, but there's also some 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 incredible public schools down there as well. Uh, I graduated from a public high school, but, you know, my educational journey took me through many different um, types of school. I did a year in private school. Uh, I did uh, my entire middle middle school experience at a technology magnet school, which was a very small school that worked really well for me. Um, and and I also did a year at a, a fine arts magnet school um, during the course of, of that journey. And so it didn't occur to me until really my senior year of high school that um, there are a ton of kids that don't have that same type of experience. Um, I was zoned to a particular public school. I did ultimately graduate from that public school, but there's a ton of kids who um, their zone public school didn't or does not work well for them for whatever reason, whether it's academics, whether there's there's a bullying situation or what have you, um, and a different type of school would be would work better for them. I also realized that um, not every kid is as lucky as I was to be born into a family that sort of knows how to navigate the school system, knows uh, when to apply for a lottery to get into a magnet school, or or, or knows how to navigate a financial aid process um, at a at a private school. And so, what I realized is there's a, we're missing a ton of kids. There's a ton of kids out there who are just by virtue of the the situations they're born into. Um, don't ever get to experience, have a good educational experience. And so um, I started looking into, well, what, how do we, how can we fix that and stumbled across actually school choice and um, didn't realize it was as partisan as it's become. I think it's become even more partisan since I, I got started in it. But um, that's sort of, that's sort of been the journey that, that I've, that brought me to school choice initially. And you've been really outspoken about your views on school choice and what you think we, sh- we should be doing. It's been interesting to watch you draw the ire of big names, yeah. you know, whether it's Stacey Davis Gates or whoever else. Um, but you stand firm in your beliefs. What's that like to take heat? Yeah, I mean, I don't I uh, we, we often say like the we're, we're standing high on the moral, the moral high ground here and, and history, you know, whenever that is, if it's in two years, if it's in 10 years, if it's if it's another 30 years that we have to go through for everyone to realize or at least more people to realize that uh, giving families the same opportunity that, um, you know, many people who lead the opposition have to decide where their kids go to school. So so giving every family that opportunity is not this big, bad, scary thing that uh, that that the unions and others that they fund would like would like it to be. Um, I uh, I don't have a problem with controversy. Um, <laughs> and 
Uh, it's gotten me in trouble in some places, but but generally speaking, I don't have I don't have a problem with it, and I'm very comfortable playing the role of a villain if 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 that's what's going to be necessary to get uh, more kids in a situation of of a of a better uh, of a better education. So the fact that you know Stacey Davis Gates comes after me, I'm not I'm not really concerned about that. Um, and to be quite honest, she runs the, the third largest teacher union uh, in the country. So if she's spending her time on Twitter uh, dealing with me, who just works at a nonprofit, then then you know I think um, whatever we're doing is working. So it's pretty funny to be the villain when you're the one standing up yeah. for kids who can't afford tuition for right. schools that might work better for them. But I mean, if that's what a villain means, then that's yeah, absolutely. telling you quite a bit. It is. Um, it's really, it's been so fascinating to work on school choice here in Illinois. My story um, is pretty similar to yours. So I grew up in Ohio. Uh, mom was a public school teacher. I went to public school through elementary school. And then it became pretty clear that a better fit for me was going to be the Catholic school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was fortunate, my mom and dad, same as you, we were able to navigate that system and make it work. Yeah. Um, but to your point, there are so many kids who don't have that. They're not, they're not lucky enough to have that same situation. So what does it look like? And let's talk here in Chicago, cause that's where you're based now. What does it look like here in Chicago when kids are stuck in a system that just doesn't work for them? Um, yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 a grim situation, and I think we've seen. Um, uh, we started off talking about school closures, and and I think we've seen what that has done uh, to kids. Whether it's um, the uh, incredibly high uh, increase in uh, you know mental health situations for youth, or it's uh, the fact that something on the order of ten to twenty thousand kids in CPS had just went missing over the last couple of years. CPS has no idea where they went. Many of them probably moved out of state, moved out of the city, or just enrolled in a different school entirely. But um, the the disengagement that we've seen occur uh, within, particularly the Chicago public school system, over the last couple of years as they've been closed, um, as they closed for you know well over a year, uh, is. I think just the manifestation of years of a system that has consistently catered to the needs of adults while leaving students uh, behind. I looked yesterday at um, how, what percentage of kids are reading and doing, we're reading and doing math on grade level in 2019, so pre-COVID, because we know it's lower today. If you just look at uh, the, you know, sort of the average kid in CPS, um, irrespective of their income or something like that. Only about 26, 27% of CPS kids are reading and doing math on grade level. It's much lower for black kids, it's much lower for Hispanic kids, it's much lower for poor kids. And so the only kids that are really left in CPS are those who can't afford to leave or didn't aren't lucky enough, um, as some families are, to get their kids enrolled in one of the selective enrollment um, schools that, that are really good in CPS. And so, uh, you know, that's that's sort of what's happening or not happening in CPS. There's not a lot of education happening. And then you look to uh, the crime rates that have uh, that have significantly increased in Chicago over the last few years. The University of Chicago Crime Lab did a study recently. They looked at where is this where is this increase in crime coming from? They made a direct correlation to the time that schools were closed. To, to what we've seen over, occur over the last couple of years and who's doing this crime. The crime is happening largely on the backs of uh, adolescents, um, adolescent males who are basically of high school age. So, you know, 
if they were in school, if they were learning, if they had different opportunities, we might not have seen the increase in crime that we've seen over the last couple of years. Well, and that's why this work can be so frustrating sometimes because we know there are huge problems. There are huge problems with uh, the student outcomes you just pointed to. And when kids don't feel like they're succeeding in school or they don't have school as a place to go and feel safe, they do other things that lead to even worse outcomes. You know, there there's a famous study, the Pipeline to Prison mm -hmm. um, study, that focuses a lot on uh, the relationship between literacy and your likelihood to end up in the system as an adult. Um, and so we know that there are these big problems with the system. And I think there's this inertia, like, okay, well, this is the way we've been doing things. You know, we've got this mega public school system, and that's just the way it is. Um, so that has to be a huge part of the problem for you, especially when you're dealing with this, uh, this idea that, okay, there could be a better way. Talk, talk about the resistance. What is the resistance to trying new things? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I... I don't quite get the resistance, um, mostly because, you know, the the people who uh, who are resistant to this, and and we should probably talk about those people because it's 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 a small group of people, and they all have a financial interest in making sure that the system doesn't change. If we've we've polled the issue of school choice in the state of Illinois, we know that sixty six percent of Democrats support it. It's a bipartisan issue. We know that seventy one percent of uh, Black voters support it. We know that eighty one percent of Hispanics uh, uh, voters support the issue. So this is this is not a, just a conservative issue. It's not just a you know sort of um, a class issue based on, you know, wealthy people want this and nobody else does. In fact, the opposite is true. The people that want it the most are those who have been subjected to uh, sort of the worst situations in their in their neighborhood schools. And um, so I don't get the resistance. Um, they The resistance will tell you that, um, you know, we're going to allowing simply allowing families to choose where they go to school will defund the public school system that has never occurred in the 30 years that we've had um, particularly private school choice programs in this country um, but I also think it's 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 maybe an omission of something too when they say that if if the knee-jerk reaction is hey if we give parents uh, the right to choose where to go to school they're not going to choose us that's a problem but it's not it's not the parents problem that's a problem for the the school system to to figure out. Um, so yeah, this, this issue of defunding the public schools hasn't happened. This issue around, um, you know, the, your, your teachers are going to be out of a job if, if you provide, uh, school choice has never happened. In fact, um, I think the opposite can be created in, in sort of a, uh, a really thriving school choice system because not only do you give parents an opportunity to get away from sort of a, a, a system that put the public school system which has been the monopoly but you give teachers an opportunity to go try their hand at working in different school settings as well whether that is a private school a charter school or increasingly these micro school opportunities that teachers are starting themselves we were talking before uh, we started rolling the camera too I think that's a really important point you know choice introduces options and different ways of doing things. I was telling you a little bit about um, my mom. Um, and the, the reason I bring this back up is because we bring up the, the resistance to this. Our friend behind the camera asked a good question before we started. Well, why do teachers not like school choice? And I think in places where there is school choice, your counter to that would be um, 
they they do like it because it gives yeah. them options. I shared with you um, that my mom, who worked as a public school teacher, a second grade teacher for 35 years, really started to lose her love of teaching as time went on because she lost the flexibility to teach her kids the way she knew they needed her. Mm -hmm. um, so there's this idea of the loss of joy in the classroom, I think, that creeps in when you create these monolithic systems. Teachers lose their joy. They A lot of great teachers feel called to teach mm -hmm. and they get beaten down by these rigid rules and that stinks like that's no fun so i feel like there's this opportunity to reintroduce joy for teachers to reintroduce the joy of learning for kids when they're finally in a place where they feel encouraged where they feel like the teaching matches their learning style i like i just don't get it i'm a mom now too and yeah. so i see how each kid learns differently yeah, I mean, like those. What are we doing? Yeah, like the those of us in the so so you know the pandemic, the COVID nineteen pandemic was terrible. It, you know, from a from a health standpoint, from just um, a lot of people lost uh, loved ones and things and, and things like that. But what those of us in the the ed reform, the ed policy space were frankly excited about was, hey, th this is sort of like an action forcing event that might actually break loose some of these long held beliefs about how the system has to work. Um, and really open it up to to a bunch of of new innovation. And in some places, that's happening. In Arizona, that's happening. In even places like Idaho, that's happening. We're not seeing it in Illinois. And and the biggest reason we're not seeing it. And so when when even individual teachers say, um, why why can't things be different? Well, the biggest reason things can't be different is because there are teacher unions in this state and organizations that they fund are affiliated with who. Uh, make a living on ensuring that the system never changes, ensuring that it stays sort of convoluted and 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 very sort of top-down, bureaucratic heavy. And and individual teachers don't understand that. So I don't blame individual teachers. I blame um, you know, the folks at the top who are leading these unions who are nothing more than political actors, um, who spent who who themselves spent very little time in the classroom, just like Stacey Davis Gates. So Okay, so there's a ray of hope. So you just mentioned that a lot of this school choice potential is not being realized in Illinois, but there is this glimmer of hope. Talk about invest in kids, what it is, why it matters, and what we need to do to protect it. Right. So yeah, I mean, the, the not a lot of people know that there is this giant hundred million dollar uh, uh, tax credit scholarship program in a state like like Illinois. Most of the time, these types of programs are uh, are happening in red or, or you know politically red states, um, not in Illinois. But you know, back in 2017, we had Governor Rauner at the time and the Democrat-led uh, uh, General Assembly, who were trying to, among other things, you know, a, a two-year plus budget impasse. But they were also trying to figure out a better way to for the state to invest in public schools that would allow them to drive the most money into districts that had the least ability to uh, 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 support their students from from a local from a local revenue standpoint. Because we had Bruce Rauner at the time, who, you know, for all his faults that he might have had, um, was very strong on the issue of school choice well before he was ever in office as governor. Uh, he was able to say, well, well, great. If you if if we want to rethink the way we fund public schools, we also need to rethink the what we're doing with um, um, low income kids who want to get out of the public schools. And, and that created 
um, sort of this compromise in order to get both done, created this compromise to where we have this large tax credit scholarship program. But it was only established for a, a pilot period of five years. We got an additional year. We're up to six years now. Um, and, and really... So I, so I often say that nobody thought it could be done in Illinois. Even fewer people thought that uh, it could be sustained in Illinois. But over the last five years, despite the opposition from, uh, at, at the time from Governor Pritzker, who's now come out in support of the program, despite the fact that every year there's a kill bill that's introduced by a member of the General Assembly, uh, the, the users of this program, the parents, the school leaders have come out in full force and they've won against better funded, um, more entrenched uh, entrance, interests than they are. They've won every time. And so now we're in the situation where we're coming up on the sunset of the pilot this the, in December 31st of 2023. And everyone who's been served by this program, the $300 million or, or, or more that's been raised by the program, the 30,000 plus scholarships that have been provided since 2018, um, all of that goes away unless the General Assembly uh, sort of takes action to what, what we're saying is to remove the sunset. We don't believe that, um, you know, well, let me put it this way. Pilot programs are intended to be a trial period. If it works, you shouldn't just do another uh, pilot program. Uh, and and certainly Invest in Kids has proved itself uh, uh, as, as a program that provides not only immense opportunity, but also um, some pretty incredible results. And so we should we should move away from the pilot uh, pilot program and let's just make this a permanent program, take the politics out of uh, out of the equation. One of the really interesting things, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that I think people forget too is when they pass that revised education funding formula, this concern that, okay, well, if a kid leaves the public school, takes this tax credit scholarship and goes to a private school, we lose funding. Mm -hmm. That's just not true. The funding won't go down. So I think that's a really interesting point in favor of the program for mm -hmm. anyone who's concerned about their local school funding. Right. And and if you look at if you look at um, what's happened to public school funding since investing kids, right? So 2018 when both laws were first implemented. Uh, the state was, I pulled these numbers yesterday off uh, from the governor's office of budget and management. And the state was spending something like uh, uh, $6.9 billion a year uh, on pre-K to 12 education prior to investing kids and the broader public school funding changes coming online. Uh, in the current fiscal year that we're in, the state is spending more than $9 billion um, annually on pre-K to 12 education. So we're driving more money, state investment, into public schools when, when really the enrollment in public schools in the state has gone down. But we're driving more money into pre-K to 12 education during the same period of time investing kids has, has been working. So what we've say, said is all boats are rising because uh, it, public schools that need more, that do need more funding in places like East St. Louis and elsewhere that don't have the kind of property wealth to, to locally support their schools, they're getting more funding. In the same manner, or at the same time, kids and families who are trying to find different opportunities outside the public school system are also getting that opportunity. And the, to your point earlier, the results speak for themselves. I mean, we've had the uh, privilege to talk to a lot of families um, whose kids have been taken out of horrible situations. So we've spoken with mothers who are just in tears because at their previous school, their kids were really horrifically bullied, mm -hmm. moved into schools where they are not afraid, where they can actually focus on their studies. 
kids who were in dangerous school environments and are now, again, they're feeling safe. They can focus on what matters. I mean, what what's your experience with the families who get to take part in this program? Yeah, I mean, th- this maybe goes back to the opposition in terms of, I, I don't know how you sit down, and I've, I've sat down with so, so many of these families. Uh, I don't know how you sit down with a family who's received a scholarship in this program or in or in any other program around the, that's in existence around the country and don't come away understanding the 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 humanity that's actually behind these programs the 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 faces behind this program everyone likes to say this is just a program for the wealthy to subsidize the education of their kids objectively that's not true but also you know you can go to any of these schools uh, that are that are in operation in in Chicago and anywhere else across the state because there there's there are scholarships in every legislative district in this state so there are people benefiting in every legislative district in this in the state from the program you go and you visit a school you talk to these kids uh, and and it's you know in some instances it does make you want to cry just because it's People do want educational opportunity. There's a there's a school um, on the west side of Chicago, Chicago Hope Academy. I've visited it multiple times, and they have kids there that are tra- that are that want to be at that school so bad, want to get an education at that school so bad that they're spending two and three hours a day on public transportation, you know, uh, traveling in from from wherever they live in the in this in the city. And and that to me, and some people will say, well, that's a reason we shouldn't have school choice. And people have said that. To me, we shouldn't have school choice because transportation is still an issue. I would I would counter by saying, tell that to the families who are actually who are who are who are taking part in school choice and are figuring it out from a transportation front. We still need a. There's more we could do on the transportation side of things, but as I as I've said, I think on Twitter, that is a wholly insufficient reason to to not support school choice simply because um, uh, transportation may be a barrier to to some families. So, you know, my experience has been when you actually go and meet the people behind the program, and, and I think as as policy people, we don't we don't do enough of this. Going to I think IPI actually does an incredible job of sort of telling this the 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 stories behind the policy, but we in my space don't do a, a good enough job. I think um, uh, do uh, telling those same types of stories, and it just becomes sort of this 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 policy battle that's happening in ivory towers or in state capitals when really there's there's all of these people who are who are benefiting by uh, you know behind the scenes that's why we're a dream team nathan yeah absolutely all right well it's always fun to talk with you i love it uh anyone who's not following american federation for children check them out nathan hoffman is fantastic your twitter presence is a (laughs) must read for anyone who follows school choice in illinois so we'll see what happens with invest in kids here in january most likely um but Keep us posted. It's always awesome to hear from you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To keep up with all of our work at the Illinois Policy Institute and to sign up for our newsletter, visit IllinoisPolicy.org. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Policy Shop.